Well, good morning again, and we continue uh, our series through one. Uh, as many of you know, we've been working our way through uh, this last, I think, first, is that first, May 1st, up until Pentecost next Sunday. And by the way, I skipped over a slide that you might put up there. If you want to, we're starting a series in Romans starting next week. So if you want to be reading along with us, I think I, I did skip over that, didn't I? Josiah? I sure did. Just a little bit, like the whole thing, okay? But uh, anyway, so that's up there, so I want to make sure you know that. If you want to follow along with that, we'll be starting that again. We'll be preaching through the summer on that. And like I said, uh, Pastor Brandon and Adrian will be here next week, and we're excited, really excited for that. Memorial Day, I think most of you know, but just a reminder, it honors men and women who died while serving in the U.S. military. But it was originally known as Decoration Day, and it originated in the years following the Civil War as a day to remember. And, you know, being from the South and those who are from the South, especially if you're in small towns, I'm not sure about larger towns because I wasn't around that much growing up, but in small towns they had, cemeteries had weekends or maybe on a Saturday or a Sunday and, and their Monday especially, you know, uh, decoration days. And they would have a meal and have, used to have a little chapel there and at, at the cemetery. And, and so Baker and, and, and Wicks had multiple ones. My little town of 400 people had multiple cemeteries, but Duckett Cemetery and Baker Cemetery were the two I remembered. And they would have a huge meal, It'd be a huge picnic. I mean, anybody in here from the South, specifically, it may have been everywhere else, has ever been to one of those or knows what I'm talking about? Okay, okay. So it just, you know, and it could be all over the country, but especially I know from where I'm from, that's part of what it was. But it was a day to remember, and you remember together, and you brought stories together about those people, and it was actually pretty cool to be, you know, think about it. And some of you go, well, that sounds morbid. No, to have meals? No, I don't think so. But what part of the decoration was putting new flowers and, and flags and things of that nature. So I'm going to come back to that here in just a minute. And, and if you'll indulge me a little bit today, talk a little bit about my own family inside of all that. But last week, uh, I, I read something here that I was asked multiple times about. And I did not print it out today to hand it out. But if you would like a copy of it of something I put together years ago, and it's a combination of out of, the book, out of the book, The Prayer of Jabez. And I read four different things last week that, again, uh, it's a combination of me piecing it together. It's a combination of probably pieces out of the book of Prayer of Jabez. And again, The Prayer of Jabez was the book, not The Prayer of Jabez, that was in the Old Testament, but the Prayer of Jabez was a book written by Bruce Wilkinson or published by Bruce Wilkinson in 2000, became obviously, uh, not obviously, but if you know anything about it, became this unbelievable selling book. And it was controversial for some because they felt like in many ways it was more of a name it, claim it. Uh, so some push back on it and you can, it's like a lot of things, right? For me, a lot of things, I can read something and I try not to read way more into it than I think is there. Uh, I just read it and, and again, I may be, you know, naive on some things, so I have to be careful. Uh, but then I read it for what I believe I, I, the Lord is showing me in it, and I leave the rest of it, if you will. If, but, but, but there's truth there, and I believe it's truth, and I try to lean into it. Uh, and so, there, like I said, there was maybe some controversy for some or pushback on it. But for me, it became kind of a mantra. And again, 
Have I done it the last 22 years? No. So there was a point where I quit doing it, obviously, maybe way earlier on than, uh, than I even remember. But I want to read those. I'm going to read all four of them again today. I'm going to expound a little bit on each one of them, just a little bit. And like I said, some even ask, hey, could you print that off? I haven't done that yet. And I'm not, it's like a lot of things. I'm not sure anything I do is worth printing off and handing out to anybody. Uh, but sometimes it is, you know, sometimes. And so we'll see about that. But I'm going to read 1 Chronicles 4, 9, and 10 so you'll know where it's coming from. And then we'll come back to, to reading those four things. And here it is. 1 Chronicles 4, 9, and 10, New King James Version. Now, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed, enlarge my territory, and that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I might not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested, so that I might not so that I may not cause pain. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. John, we have that slide. God, grant me nothing more or nothing less than what you want from me. Lord, that your greatness will never dim, and I know that my total dependence is on you. God, I leave it entirely up to you what that blessing will be, when and how and where I'll receive it. I believe asking for this blessing is simply asking for you to impart supernatural favor on my not life so that you can show yourself to others. Lord, I am asking with all my heart for the God-sized best you have in mind for me. As most of you know, who know me, know that John 10.10 has been my life verse. And I know it's always dangerous. There's certain, you go, well, I have this favorite scripture. And I've heard people push back on favorite scriptures. But there are things that, and points of your life, that kind of define what you're trying to accomplish. And you've heard me say here, there was a song years ago when I first got in youth ministry, of all things. And it was by Stephen Curtis Chapman called, This is the Great Adventure. And honestly, it kind of defined where we went to from there. But then there, John 10, 10, a few years later, be, became not because it was just showed up in my life. I had read it multiple times. I don't know how many times I'd read it. But I was on a road, on a, a road trip, not a road trip, but I was on the road on a trip. And we were, Jan and I were going to a place up at, called Shepherd of the Ozarks up in northern Arkansas. Dow, Dawson McAllister, many, some of you who were around back then in youth ministry may know that name. But he had a place up there. And we were going there for a, a, a small conference, if you will, and as I was driving along, and Jan was sleeping, which is almost always when we're driving somewhere, okay, so I'm, al- I'm not alone, but I'm alone, okay, so I got a lot of time to think, but Jan's asleep, and I was right driving, and this scripture just came to my mind, and it began to define really what I was trying to encapsulate, I was trying to accomplish in life, and it's John 10, 10, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, abundantly, living life to the max. So the max became our theme, and as many of you already know, I mean, on my water bottle just this morning says the max. So if you see anything around here that says the max on it, it belongs to me. So just, just, just so you know, if it gets lost, if it's a tape measure, it says the max on it. 
I mean, all my tools at the house have the max on it somewhere. It has John 10, 10 on it. Just so you know, that's mine. And I know, and, you know, it is what it is. You try to label it so you don't lose it. But what I wish I could do today is capitalize the word life in that scripture. Because it's much more than human existence. Jesus is not saying, I've come that you can breathe till you're 90 years old. I have come this year so you'll have a heartbeat till you're 90 years old. We don't stand here as people without hope. And part of that hope is, is that the life he has promised is not only abundantly now, it's abundantly for eternity. But there is something past this, but now, life, now, zoe. The definition, life real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God. If someone described your life right now, would they describe it as real and genuine, active and vigorous, devoted to God? Now, that's not a judgment statement because I'm not sure anybody would say that about me. But when we read that passage of Scripture, we can't skip over that. When Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have that kind of life. Active, vigorous, genuine. Devoted to him. Because when you have that kind of life, the whole concept of the great adventure becomes a new possibility. Now everything else begins to look different, that God could bless me beyond anything I ever imagined. That now, as we talked about, when you're talking about uh, John Wesley, and part of the reason why I've told you over and over why I believe in the Wesleyan theology is the radical optimism, which there's almost no ceiling on what God can do. And there's no ceiling on who God can use. So when I say, Lord, that you would bless me indeed, I'm not saying bless me for my consumption. I'm I'm asking, Lord, bless me to use me. Bless me so that I would live into the fullness of what you've put me here for. The reason why we've done the uncommon training these years, and hopefully we're, gonna, we're on the verge of getting back into that, is to help people clear the clutter. Anybody got any clutter in their life where they just can't, there's too many things firing off at you and you can't figure out how to work your, when you get started on something, all of a sudden something else comes out of left field and you just clutter. The whole concept of uncommon is helping clear that clutter so potentially maybe you can live into the fullness of what Christ is saying. Do you need uncommon training for that? No way. But could you use uncommon for that? I think so. I mean, the purpose of the Gospel of John, if you've ever read the whole Gospel of John, which again, one reason I I encourage people when they come to Christ, if they say, where do you start reading Scripture? 
I don't say Deuteronomy or Leviticus, even though that is powerful and it has got its... I, I say read the book of John. And the reason I instruct and direct people there is because I do believe when I read John, I hear this personal relationship from the Apostle John. And I hear a story, and, and, and obviously John says multiple times, the, 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 you know, I'm the apostle that Jesus loved, or however, I can't, I, I'm maybe butchering it, but how he says it. But we've talked about here before, it was John Jesus' favorite? I don't think so. But Jesus was John's favorite. And that changes everything. So when John writes at the end of the last verse in chapter 20, and I don't have it on the screen, but he says this, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life through his name. So that you may have Zoe in his name. So that you, so that you may have the wine, the logos in his name. Oh, that you may enlarge my territory. Lord, favor my key relationships, especially those within my household. Lord, use me and give me more influence, responsibility in ministry for you. How many of you this week asked for more responsibility? <laughs> Not I. But then I stop and think. Yes, we need to live a balanced life. But when you're passionate for the Lord, I don't know how balanced it'll ever get. So we ask for more responsibility, do we? And ministry for you. That's the responsibility we ask. Lord, it is your will that we seek salvation, healing, and blessing for countless teens and their families. The reason why I'm saying that in there is, is because I wrote this when I was a youth pastor years ago. So that's why those words are in there. Just a reminder from last week, those who are not here. We know it is your deepest desire to take more ground for the kingdom in this generation. Lord, prepare me for honorable purposes made holy as an instrument or tool or a vessel useful to the master and prepare to do any good work, 2 Timothy 2, 20, Lord, I pray you will arrange an appointment for ministry for me. I thank you, Lord, for what you are going, for what we are going to do together. Lord, I pray that you would arrange a moment, an opportunity for ministry for me. The problem with that prayer is you often don't get to choose what that looks like. But what if, and when I quoted <clears throat> Esther last week, and I won't have time to go back into all that, but Mordecai saying to Esther in Esther 4.14, who knows, you may have been made queen for such a time as this. And the point with that is, who knows, Lord, you may have put me in 2022, May, June, July, for such a time as this. Not to set before the president, but set before someone who does not know you. How do I prepare for such a time as this?
What if you were, what if you were left here on earth? I love what David says in Acts 13, 36. David served God's purpose in his own generation, then he what? Fell asleep, he died. There's a purpose why you're here. No matter if you're 80, no matter if you're eight, there's still a great purpose for you. And helping find that and helping understand that. That God would enlarge your territory by giving you more responsibility. That you would prepare each day to step into it that maybe, just maybe today, there's an opportunity to advance the kingdom. And this is where I'm going to get a little personal here, and I hope. Often you do that by just trying to do right things. And later you look back and go, man, God put me there for this time. You often don't know in the moment. Matter of fact, most times I don't think you know in the moment. And here's where I'm going to get a little personal and tell a little story of my family. Especially being on a Memorial weekend. As many of you know, my dad, uh, I've told the story and I won't go into the details of that today, was a battlefield medic in World War II. And come from a little town in Arkansas, ends up on the battlefields of North Africa and of Italy, especially in Casino Italy and the Abbey of Monte Cassino. And that's a long story and you can look it all up. Not about my dad, even though there is a story written about him for my brother, to remember, to be able to remember. But my dad uh, dealt with PTSD really bad. Suicidal, I would guess often, but most of just depression, anxiety, nervous breakdowns, they used to call them back in, back in the 50s. You just call them nervous breakdown. I don't even know exactly what that means anymore. <laughs> That's why they call it back then. They didn't call it PTSD. They just let you out of the hospital. My dad was in the hospital, I think, 14 months. He was blown up on the battlefield at Monte Cassino, laid on the battlefield for three days. Unbelievable story, miracle, honestly, when you get into the details of it. But he was in the hospital in Naples. Uh, then ended up in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and uh, was in the hospital 14 months. Pretty well left him. They pretty well, when they sent him out of there to back to Wicks, Arkansas, on a bus on crutches, 14 months later, uh, it was kind of like there was really no counseling. <laughs> you just get off the bus and you go home. And uh, so that's how he dealt with it. He didn't take disability, even though he could have almost his left side was, or excuse me, his right side was blown off, but it was all put back together. But he, uh, the doctors there in Hot Springs told him and said, now, his name's A.G., A.G. Gentry. He's Albert Guy. Uh, funny story on that I'm going to tell real quick. My grandmother had 12 kids. My grandfather, grandmother and grandfather had 12 kids. They named two sons Albert, okay? I don't know. I think there's more names, but anyway. My grandmother, though, says that Albert Frank, which is my uncle, was named Albert Frank, but daddy's name was A.G., which was Albert Guy. A.G. Gentry Jr., because my grandfather's name was A.G. Gentry Sr. But they always called him A.G., and grandmother, my grandmother says, his name's A.G., it's not Albert. That's the reason why I named the other one Albert, because his name's not Albert. But when he went in the military, he could not go by initials. So that's where the Albert Guy Gentry Jr. 
came about. So anyway, I have no idea where I am on that part of it. I got sidetracked there. But when he came back, uh, well, they told him, they said, AG, if you, the, the military or the doctor said, you know, we can give you 100% disability today and you can have it the rest of your life. But we believe if we do that, <clears throat> you'll accept that disability, be defined by that disability, and you'll never probably walk again. Or we can give you 25% disability and we believe it'll push you to become back full to what you should be. That's what he did. Now, not much more counseling than that. That's all it was. (laughs) That was it. So he had nervous breakdowns through the 50s, gets into the 60s, and this is where the other part of the story begins to to unfold. There's a reason why I'm telling you this. I want to show the picture. I got this picture from my sister the other day of the cemetery there in Wicks. Because it's decoration weekend, right? Uh, my mom and dad, my mom died in 2017. My dad died in 2010. And uh, they knew each other two weeks and got married. And were married 60-something years. Six kids, 17 grandkids, and multiple great-grandkids. And uh, go to the picture, go to the picture. It's just a few years before, they passed, before my dad passed away. Some of the sweetest people you ever meet. Next picture. This is my dad. Many years later, obviously, with all of his medals, my, all his medals got stolen. He was a top, top marksman in his class at boot camp, but a top because he's from Arkansas, he's hunting and all that kind of stuff. And when they sent him, when they uh, started putting him together to send him overseas, he said, "I won't shoot anybody though." So I'm not, I'm not going to kill anybody. So they were going to court martial him. They were going to put him in the brig and his commanding officer. So they took him up to the commanding officer's commanding officer, and that commanding officer asked him, he said, Private Gentry, would you be willing to put people back together? And he said, yes, I would. So they put him in medic school. So that's what ended up happening with him. So all those medals, Purple Heart, obviously, and all the things he had ended up getting that on there. The reason why I tell you all this on this particular weekend and, Lord, enlarge my territory is that my parents didn't set out to enlarge their territory. They show the picture of the car lot. Go, show, go through. That's, that's just a few years ago. It's almost run down now. We sold it many years ago. That's where I was raised. That little house, not a little house, that house up there is where I was raised. If anybody ever wants to know why you want white noise, why I like white noise in my room, because I, I slept on that end of the house with the window open. That's Highway 7159 between Kansas City and, and New Orleans, okay? That's what I slept with. Semi-trucks going by my window at 3 in the morning and doing jake breaking going down the hill. So that's where I slept. That's why I have a fan on every night at my house, because that just makes me feel at home. This next picture. This is my brother made a model of it many years ago. Kind of gives you a little more feel when it looks like. The next picture is like, it's kind of blurry, and that's me and the, me, the second one from the left, and uh, my two brothers and my dad. We had to end up giving it up because the economy in 1980 crashed everything, and we ended up having to move away and started our whole life in different directions. But the next picture... This was our view looking to the, to the north. Next view, next picture. And that pasture right there. I'm coming to all this to say this. My dad started that car lot in about 1960. One day, and it was much smaller, obviously, way smaller. It got built up over the 60s and 70s to a, to a showroom. A town of 400 people. 
My dad, there's the barn. Car lights over here. My dad was looking down on this field. And he said, every day I'd look down. He said, no, not every day. He said, often I'd look down on that field. And every time I looked at that field, I saw young men's dead bodies. Of all the body bags he had zipped up, never left him. Of all the times he walked out across that battlefield knowing there were just young men all over the place. Why were we talking 400-something thousand? Obviously, he didn't see that many, but he would just zip body bags up and ship them out. Doctors would come from the U.S. They would run when they landed on the ground there. But my dad, who didn't know any better, would do things that you just had to do until he got blown up. But he looked down on that field, and one day the Lord showed him, just said, that field needs to have life on it. And I wish I had a picture of it today because I couldn't find it. My dad built a baseball field there. There was no baseball field anywhere close to our little town. 25 miles away. You know the old saying, they built, you build it, they'll come. My dad decided, he wasn't trying to enlarge his tent. He just decided, I want these young men to have baseball-style uniforms. This is in the 60s. We're not talking about... 90s or 2000s so he began to sponsor it with whatever else he had left over buying all the uniforms and putting these young men out there and we would drive how I was raised as a five and six year old is in a pickup going around dirt roads picking up young men and putting them in our truck and we're taking them with my dad became a second dad to so many of these young men my mom just as equal in the middle of all of it But when he saw those young men laying laying there, he said, they can't just die in vain. We have to give life. And this wasn't just prompted by some, we believe it was of the Lord. My dad would give you, would tell you over and over, not only his situation when he was on the battlefield over three days in, in Italy, but to this vision, to what they did. Trying to be obedient, God began to enlarge his territory. The last one I think we've got up there. Just a few years ago, the new city park they named after my dad, it should say A.G. and Catherine Gentry. feels what it should say because it's leaving off just this critical part. When you begin to pray, Lord, enlarge my territory, you don't really know all that what all that's going to mean. But especially Memorial Weekend, I felt that example of not letting those young men die in vain, at least from what dad could do, makes a difference. My mom and dad, if you knew them, they never set out to be remembered for anything, but they just tried to do right things. Lord, lead me. Can you pray that prayer? Lord, lead me throughout the day. Lord, lead me. Lord, I want to be in a position to listen to what you're showing me. Lord, you may prompt me to encourage just someone in a small way today. But there are times you may use me to change the whole trajectory of someone's life and their family's life. Lord, lead me.
Oh, that your hand would be with me. The hand of the Lord is a biblical term for God's power and presence in the lives of his people. Lord, let me attempt something large enough that failure is guaranteed unless you, Lord, step in. I want my dependence to be totally on you. I die out to my self-centered self and to be filled with your spirit, living in true righteousness and holiness. Allow me to speak the word fearlessly, boldly, clearly, and full of grace. Search me, God. Test me, God. That I can be that instrument as we've already prayed in enlarging the territory, but now fill me with your spirit to live in true righteousness and true holiness. Jesus says, if many of you know in the Lord's Prayer, we call, many of us call the Lord's Prayer or however you want to refer to it, but hallowed be your name. The word there, hallowed, means, Lord, it means to set apart. God set apart. There are times I think we allow the greatness of God to dim in our, in our eyes. Lord, you're set apart. You're you're different. You're not a God among gods. You are the God. And by acknowledging even in that prayer, if that's all you prayed every day, but to know what those words mean, to be set apart. God, you're set apart. You're holy. But I want to add this, and I'm going to read it because I think it's so important that I don't bungle the words here. Since the stamp of sacredness passes over from the holiness of God to whatever has connection with God, when we pray each day, hallowed be thy name, we are saying, Father, your reputation, your name is at stake in me today. So when we talk about sanctification set apart for God's use, when we pray hallowed, we're saying, God, we want to be set apart because we know today we represent you in everything we do. Help me understand that. Search me that I reflect you. Give me spiritual insight. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, I, I, I want to confess and I want to repent those things that are keeping me from being that. I love what today's half a million mobilization prayer, if you have your prayer guide, day 29 today. Lord, may your Holy Spirit so fill me that your will, not mine, will be done in me. That your Holy Spirit will so fill me that your will be done, not mine. Oh, that you keep me from evil. But I love what he says. I'm, not gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm about to read that. But I love what he says in the prayer of Jabez. 
that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. Let me read it though. Lord, I know that the more I'm in the battle, the more attacks I will have on my family and me. Lord, make me familiar with the enemy's schemes. Keep me, keep me far away from evil today. Lord, keep me from making the mistakes I'm most prone to when temptation comes. I confess that what I think is necessary, smart, or personally beneficial is so often only the, only the beautiful wrappings of sin. Lord, keep me safe from the pain and grief that sin brings. For the dangers I can't see are the ones that I think I can risk because of my experience, pride, and carelessness. Please put up a supernatural barrier. Lord, keep me from temptations that pull my emotions and my physical needs that call out to my sense of what I deserve, a critical spirit, and what I have a right to feel and enjoy. That doesn't make sense unless we believe that there's a force that tempts us and battles against us. And its purpose is to destroy God's glory. That last part makes no sense unless we believe that. Again, we say often here, I know I've said that a hundred times today, it feels like. Sin, if it had a job description, is separation. Separation from God, separation from others, separation from our divine purpose. That's its job. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And when we pray this, I believe one of the things we're doing, we're acknowledging our inability to handle temptation on our own. That's a dangerous place to be sitting. Not only, I think we need to be in community to handle temptation, but we sure need to be in communion with God and walking right step the best we can, right in the spirit. But I love what Martin Luther says here. Temptation is not as much the penalty of manhood as it is the glory of manhood. It is that by which a man is made an athlete of God. God wants you strong in him in temptation and trials Help get you there. Different way to look at it, huh? I mean, for instance, have you ever prayed and talking about even, Lord, lead me? Lord, get me out of this mess? Anybody here ever prayed that ever? I prayed it this week. Wanting to go around when God is wanting to use us to go through. What if we prayed, Lord, increase my courage and my faith? I want to take a stand and be bold. Lord, I want you to stretch me. And if I had the ladder out here, you know where I'd go with that. But Lord, stretch me. But stretch me prayers come in all kinds of flavors, right? Stretch my patience, stretch my compassion. Stretch my faith to believe that I can express kindness right here in this moment and that my day will be okay. 
I'm going to be kind to this person when it doesn't feel like, but I'm going to be okay today. Stretch me. Or stretch me in my giving of time, talent, and treasure. You know, the heart of any giving is whether you trust the Lord or not. Of course, you want to trust your pastor and your, your board and, and, and how we operate. Sure. Hopefully, we'll always be found faithful in that. And when we pray this prayer today, Lord, bless me. And he goes on and you go, how, how, do, you, how do you pray the Lord, bless me. One thing I am confident of, the blessing comes as the greater good for not only myself, but for those connected to me. And it may not be material. It may not even be something I can see today. It may be something years from now I reflect back on. Because what might seem like a blessing today may end up seeming like a curse later. You ever been there? <laughs> ever bought a car? Oh, this is what a great blessing until you found out it was a lemon. <laughs> now it's a curse. No. We're pretty funny about that, aren't we? But here's the deal. If it is tangible, and very often it is, it will never be the point of the greater blessing. How God blesses and prospers me and you is up to him. It can come from multiple avenues, and most often, again, as I said, we do not realize it in the moment. Stretch me, Lord, to no longer settle just getting by as a follower of you. Stretch me. So I present this to you today as the thought is, I believe asking for this blessing is simply asking for God to impart his supernatural favor on us. That's all. It's not name it and claim it. Lord, how do you use me for the greater good? Because today, as we talk about one, Lord, bless me so I can bless my community. Lord, bless me as he told Esther, as Mordecai said to Esther, maybe, just maybe, you're here for such a time as this. Love what Dallas Willard says. Prayer is talking with God about what we're thinking and doing together. It is co-laboring with God to accomplish the good purposes of his kingdom. Prayer almost always involves other disciplines and spiritual activities. But I love what he says. Don't seek to develop a prayer life. Seek a praying life. Lord, help us. Let me pray. Lord, we come before you today. Thankful. 
Remembering. Remembering those, again, as we've said already in this service, who've gone before us. What we do today, remember those who have died in battle for this country, for our freedom. Lord, today we come remembering you, that you died for us, raised again, that we may have life and have it abundantly. Lord, we ask today, as we leave this building, as we go about our life, Lord, that you would be challenging each of us to step into, if you will, the blessed life in a way that enlarges your territory, which in turn obviously enlarges ours. Prepare us, go before us, and we thank you for that, Lord. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today. God bless you, and go have an uncommon week in his name. Blessings.